what criteria do you use in determining whether or not 2015 was a good year for you? For some of you, you may look at the bottom line of your financial statement. Some of you might look to see if your favorite sports team did well during the past year. Some of you might look at the assets that you acquired or lost. Some of you might look at certain life events uh, like births and deaths or vacations or, or job changes. Some might look at accomplishments, maybe a job promotion, maybe a, an award, something like that. Generally, what we kind of look at when we evaluate a past year is, <laughs> do we have anything to show for our efforts? That's kind of the way we look at it. Do I have anything to show for last year and for all that I did? But I need to ask you another question. And that other question is, what criteria do you think Jesus uses when he evaluates the past year for us? When he looks at our lives, how do you think Jesus does that? I think he might use a little bit different standard, a little bit different perspective. And in other words, uh, Jesus is not saying just, did you have a good year financially? The question is, how did you manage your finances to bear fruit in the kingdom of God? Or not just the idea that you accomplished something, but did your accomplishments bear fruit in the kingdom of God? And not just, did you have good or bad life events, but how did you use those life events to bear fruit in the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' perspective. And so I would challenge you, if you are looking back on 2015 to try to decide if it was a good year or not, if you would look at it from that perspective, not just, just the, the material perspective that we often look at it. But that was 2015, and now it's 2016. And so as we look at a new year, how are we to approach that? I want us to look at John chapter 15. And hear what Jesus has to say, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The grapevine is a very prolific plant, and one vine can produce a, a whole lot of grapes. Uh, in the Old Testament, grapes were a symbol of Israel's fruitfulness. In fact, the prophets had written that Israel was God's vine, that it was carefully planted and cared for. And the vine, though, was a disappointment. The vine was a disappointment because it yielded only rotten fruit, and that rotten fruit was basically disobedience. Uh, to God's commands. Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 2.21, he says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Jesus 
a very bold statement. He says, I am the true vine, uh, the true fulfillment of God's plan for his people. In other words, I am the personification of everything Israel was created to be. Now, Christians then, if Jesus is the true vine, uh, we're basically the new society of God's people. We originate in Christ, the true vine, and we are united to him as branches are united to a vine. And God is the gardener, and God cultivates the branches. But it's also the task of the gardener to distinguish between the good branches, the productive ones, and the unproductive ones, and deal with them accordingly. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute. But the bottom line for his followers is in verse 8, where Jesus says that we are to bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be his disciples. As followers of Christ, we're going to bear one of three different kinds of fruits. It's either going to be good fruit, bad fruit, or maybe artificial fruit. But Jesus obviously wants the good fruit from us. So, what is fruit? I mean, when Jesus talks about fruit here, what is Jesus talking about? I thought, it was, I, thought I knew, uh, and I thought this would be the easiest part of the sermon, is just to write down a little brief definition of what fruit was. And this was actually the part I spent the most time on, because once I got going with it, I thought, man, this is, this is a lot harder uh, than I thought. Well, obviously, the easy part is that Jesus is not talking about apples and oranges. He's not talking about that fruit. Uh, he's not talking about edible fruit. And after that, fruit, as we look at it as believers, kind of is a broad term. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of times as believers, we equate fruit with like evidence or with results or with outcomes. In other words, some might say that, you know, the good works a person does bears fruit. In other words, like if you give a million dollars to start a homeless shelter, then, then the good that that shelter does, you could say, was the fruit that was born from your, your gifts. Or maybe, the, <clears throat> maybe you uh, are out and you're, you're sharing your faith with someone else, and, and someone, because of your witness, comes to know Christ as, as their Savior. And, and some people will say, well, that's the fruit uh, of my witness is someone coming to know him. Uh, churches often equate fruit with numbers. In other words, whatever the attendance is or the giving or number of baptisms, a lot of times churches will look upon that as fruit. But with fruit being such a broad term, I wondered if what Jesus was really trying to get at here. And the key point, I think, for Jesus and what he wants us to understand here is that bearing fruit is not so much about what we do it's about who we are. And the key to understanding that, I think, is in verse 4. Because in verse 4, Jesus says that we don't create the fruit. We just bear it. We don't create the fruit. We just bear it. And you might think, well, that's kind of, isn't that kind of like splitting hairs on, on word definitions? Not really. Because if you think about it, the Bible d d talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The thing is, we, we don't create those things in us. We don't create those qualities. The Holy Spirit comes and creates them in us. And so if the Holy Spirit comes and creates them in us, and we don't create them, then the fruit that comes from us, the fruit is basically an outpouring of those qualities in our lives. We didn't create it, but we bear it and we show it. H.L. Wilmington writes, the contrast 
between works and fruit is important. A machine in a factory works and turns out a product, but it could never manufacture fruit. Fruit must grow out of life. And in the case of the believer, it is the life of the Spirit. So if we don't create it and we're to bear it, what, what, are, we, what are we to do? Well, very simply, Jesus says that we are to stay connected to the life source, the vine. That that's the only way that we can do it. He, he says remain. In eight verses, Jesus uses the word remain eight times. So it's important. It's important for us because as long as we are obedient and stay connected to the vine, the true vine, which is Jesus, then our lives will bear fruit. In other words, we will manifest in our lives those spiritual fruits that the Holy Spirit puts in us. It's not something that we manufacture ourselves, but it's an outpouring of who we are because the Spirit has put them in us. But staying connected to the vine so that we can produce fruit in the kingdom of God sounds like an easy thing to do. I mean, why wouldn't you stay connected? Well, it, it sounds easy, but it's actually sometimes very difficult. It's difficult because we get easily distracted. I mean, we'll start out a new year or we'll start out our new Christian life and, and we'll be determined that we are going to do this. We call them resolutions in the new year. Uh, and I never make them because I become easily distracted. But what Jesus is talking about here is not making a New Year's resolution. Jesus is talking about the way that you go about life. But we do get distracted. We're eager to do right, but we get distracted. What do we get distracted by? Families? Our family? <laughs> you think, well, how can my family be distracted? Well, it's not so much your family, but it's family activities. You know, the kids have this, and they have this, and they have this, and you have to go here, and you have to go here, and you have to go here. And I'm a big proponent of spending time with your kids. Don't get me wrong. I think it's very important to go to their activities, do things with them, all of that kind of stuff. But sometimes that can become our focus, and, and we get away from being connected to the vine because we're distracted by things that are not bad things. But they do draw us away sometimes if we're not careful. Our jobs, even our job in the church, it's not just that we work all the time at, at our, our everyday jobs, but sometimes our jobs in the church can become a distraction for us because we get so focused on the job itself that we actually forget about why we're doing it, but especially who the source is for what we're doing. Um, sometimes the social and, and community obligations that we have. We get involved in a lot of things in the community, and sometimes that can distract us. Sometimes financial obligations. Uh, we get kind of distracted by, by our finances, so our finances uh, become an issue for us, and, and it becomes an issue, and so we start looking for solutions, maybe solutions that, that are inside of us or that we can create, and sometimes we get distracted from the real source of life. And Hey, if you're not distracted already, you're going to be in 2016 by politics. It's already everywhere, and it's going to be even more everywhere. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how you can be more everywhere, but it's going to be that way. All of those things, if you're not careful, and the list could go on and on, can be a distraction from staying connected to the vine. And Jesus reminds us that we need to make a deliberate effort, though, to do it. And in order for us to make a deliberate effort to do it, we have to have a lot of discipline. 
It takes a lot of discipline to stay connected to the vine, to stay connected to the source of, our, of life so that we can bear fruit in the kingdom. There are three things that I really think that we can look at in the new year that will help us to develop that discipline. And the first one is this. Discipline number one would be to make time to be with the Lord every day. To make time to be with him every day. Jesus told his disciples that they were already clean because of the word that had been spoken to them. What is the word that can speak to us? The Bible. The Bible is God's word to us. It's available to us, not just because we have a printed copy at home or in our office or in a car or wherever we have it, but technology has made it available everywhere. God's word is everywhere and readily available to us. But the Bible provides a standard for us by which we're to measure our lives. And we allow the word of God, when we allow the word of God to search us, and to direct us, then we are clean, cleansed and made fruitful in the kingdom of God. It's not just about reading the Bible. It's not just about hearing the Bible. But it's about applying it to our lives. And you have to be disciplined about doing that. And this is the kind of daily exposure. This daily exposure to God's word that keeps us connected to the vine. And I tell you, if you start straying from that, if you start getting away from God's word, if you don't keep that as a priority then it's difficult to stay connected to the vine. The second discipline, I think, is to maintain a constant conversation with the Lord. Now, we may, and I hope we do, I hope you have a time every day where you sit down and pray. That's important. And, and I don't want you to get away from that. But we need to learn how to converse with God at other times. For instance, I think... When we do something that's wrong, well, we need to confess it immediately. Don't, don't let it linger. When, you, when something that you do is wrong, confess it immediately. Go to God with it. Something else is, is when you hurt someone, pray right then for the strength to apologize. Don't, don't let it stay inside of you. When, when um, you have an important decision to make, discuss it with God. Discuss it with God. It can be an ongoing conversation. Uh, when something great happens in your life, the blessings that you have, thank God for them then. Don't think, well, I'll thank God later when I'm, I'm praying before I go to sleep. Uh, and as long as I don't go to sleep before I finish my prayers, I'll thank God for this. And stop and pray for people who are in need. A lot of times, for instance, the, the prayer list that we have in the bulletin, or maybe somebody will mention, hey, will you pray for this? And we say yes, and we mean well, but we forget sometimes. Why not just stop right then and pray? Just pray. You know, even, if, even if you don't want to pray with a person, just, just take a moment right then to pray. I know sometimes in church meetings, there'll, there'll be an issue that'll come up. We'll stop right in the middle of the meeting and, and, and pray. So don't let it go. Maintain a constant conversation with God. And the third discipline is to listen carefully to the Lord. We like to talk to him, but we need to listen to him as well. And that's difficult for us to do because we have to be open to God's instruction and you have to be open to it. He's not going to force it in there. You have to be open to it. Not only open to it, but do what God tells you to do. And you need to trust his judgment. 
Sometimes when, when God is leading us in, in a certain way, it's, it's easy for us to let our judgment and our reasoning take precedence. We have to learn to trust God's judgment. God is never going to lead us in, a, in the direction that we shouldn't go. And if God leads us in a way that looks difficult for us, don't worry. If God's leading you in that direction, God is going to provide you what you need to accomplish. Jesus says that if you remain in him, that you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And a lot of people misunderstand this. It's not magic. We're not talking about magic here. We're not talking about if you have a relationship with God, you just make up your want, want list, your wish list every day, give it to God, boom, you got it. That's not what it's talking about. And some people read this and, and they get disappointed with God because they come to him with this list every day and these things don't happen. But what Jesus is talking about is if we abide in him, if we abide in him, if we stay connected to the vine then we will understand what God's will and God's purpose is for us. And so that in our prayers, our prayers will reflect that will and that purpose. So that our prayers don't become asking for things just because we want them or desire them. But we will be praying more in accordance with God's will and what he wants. And God will answer our prayers in incredible ways. Well, those are three things, discipline-wise, that I think we need to be aware of. But let's get back to the gardener for a minute. Remember we talked about that Jesus is the true vine, we're the branches, but God the Father is, is the gardener. Uh, and, and the gardener is going to deal with productive and non-productive branches. The, the unproductive branches... The scripture tells us they're going to be eliminated, taken away, removed. Uh, the ones that are dried up, thrown into the, into the fire. And, and that's kind of difficult for us to, to realize sometimes, especially in church. Because, you know, if you, if you look at a church in general, church sometimes can have a lot of people. But when you really break it down to the people who are, who are actually doing, doing work in the church, sometimes the, the unproductive outweigh the, the, the productive folks. And churches sometimes uh, have difficulty dealing with that because what happens is sometimes if we start dealing with that, we're, we're kind of afraid that maybe our numbers might go down. And you know, churches are all, all, about, all about numbers, or so I've heard. Um, but anyway, um, also maybe we lack the wisdom or the decisiveness of God in dealing with that. And then churches often present a kind of a fuzzy or really non-existent expectation when it comes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, we're, we're glad you came. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're a member. We're glad you came to know Christ. And man, we really hope you'll find some area that you can get involved in and serve. And that's usually the way we leave it. <clears throat> so we, we kind of give you these fuzzy expectations and, and really are non-existent expectations if you really want to get down to it of really what it means to be alive and a follower uh, of Christ. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think this doesn't mean that we don't hold each other accountable, but we really need to look at this passage. You know what Jesus says? Jesus doesn't say that the church is the gardener. He doesn't say that the pastor is the gardener. He doesn't say that the church council is the gardener. He doesn't say that you are the gardener. Uh, he says that God, the Father, is the gardener, and he's the one that will deal with that. And it doesn't say he might or he could or it's a possibility. It says he will. It says God will deal 
with this. So, we need to remain faithful, and we need to keep at it. And know that God deals with the things that maybe we just get distracted by. Hold each other accountable, but at the same time, God is the one who does the pruning. But then there are the productive branches. And you might think, well, hey, I'm a productive branch, so I don't have to worry about any of this. Well, it's not that you don't have to worry about it, but you notice the gardener, he cuts off the dead ones, but he prunes even the productive ones, even the ones that are bearing a lot of fruit. It says they are pruned. And why are they pruned? So they will become more productive. Carl Gorell, who's a neighbor of mine, I remember the first tomato plant I ever planted, and he got after me because he said, you got to go out there every day and, and pick off the little suckers. And I didn't know what he was talking about, but evidently you got the vine here and the, the branch coming off here, but there's a little one that wants to grow up in between those two. And if you don't keep those pinched off, what happens is, is, is that it sucks all the nourishment from the plant and the plant doesn't produce to its full capacity. So what's happening is when, when we are pruned, it's to make us more productive. And pruning is important because we don't want to be robbed of nourishment. So what does it say about God? You know, God sometimes will prune us maybe to slow us down. Maybe we are killing ourselves and others around us because of the fast pace that, that, we're, that we're going in. And sometimes God will prune us to slow us down a little bit. Uh, sometimes he wants to turn us in another direction. We're heading down the wrong road and, and heading down that way pretty fast. And sometimes God will, will prune us to, to wake us up, to keep us from that destructive behavior. And sometimes God will do it to deepen our roots. Uh, sometimes our lives are, are shallow and sometimes pruning causes us to look at life from a different perspective. So God's after our good in the pruning, but sometimes it's, it's difficult for us to accept that. Because we say, hey, I'm, I'm productive. God, I'm doing all these great things for you. And God says, wait a minute, let me just trim this a little bit. I'm going to trim it a little bit because I want to make you more productive. God's wish for you and for all of us and for the church in the new year is to be fruitful. And I hope that in doing so, we'll remember who's in charge. It's not us. I hope that we will, instead of struggling to produce fruit, that we will work to stay connected and close to the vine and realize that we're the ones who bear it, but that the production comes from the life that we have because we are connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ. And then we need to submit to the hand of the gardener as much as we'd like to avoid it, but it's for our own good. Now, if we do these things in the new year, I don't know if our friends at the end of the year will declare that we had a successful year. But that's not what we're about. We're not about impressing anyone. What happens is we will grow in our faith. We will grow closer to God. We will become more productive in the kingdom of God. And in the end, what really matters will happen. And that's that God will get the glory for it all. Let's pray.